Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Do you know what the most read New York Times article was of 2021? Uh, Any guesses? Okay, so here's what it wasn't. It wasn't an article on January 6th. A lot happened in 2021, okay? It wasn't an article on the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, It wasn't an article on the Tokyo Olympics or the uh, new vaccine that they developed for malaria, praise God. Uh, It wasn't an article for uh, Ingenuity, which is the Mars helicopter that sort of floated above the surface. If you haven't seen the pictures from NASA, it's just incredible. It wasn't on any of that. The most read article, New York Times 2021, uh, was this one. It's an article written by a Wharton professor named Adam Grant titled, uh, there's a name for the blah you're filling. It's called languishing. The most popular article in 2021 was on the topic of languishing. Now, yeah, I see that hand in the back, go ahead. Tyler, real quick, um, why are you talking about 2021? Okay, this is 2023. Usually this time of year, you do the best ofs of 2022. Okay, well, just so you know, I looked at the most popular articles in 2022. One was on Wordle. The other one was on the death of the queen. So I was looking for a bit more of a thank piece for the sermon today. So we went back a year, all right? Now, see that other hand in the back, go ahead. Tyler, um, okay, I'll, I'll bite. What's languishing? Well. I'm glad you asked because I believe this is the default emotional state for most Americans today. It is a psychological term, by the way. It's more popular than depression, more popular than anxiety, more popular than burnout. This is how Grant defines it in his article. Um, He says, at first, I didn't recognize the symptoms that we all had in common. Friends mentioned that they were having trouble concentrating. Colleagues reported that even with vaccines on the horizon, they weren't excited about 21. I I had a family member who was staying up late to watch National Treasure again, which this is a big indicator that something has gone wrong in your life. Um, (laughs) Again being the key word, even though though she knows the movie by heart, okay? And uh, instead of bouncing out of bed at 6 a.m., I was laying there until seven, playing words with friends. This is a New York Times bestseller, Wharton professor here. Okay, now he says it wasn't burnout. We still had energy. It wasn't depression. We didn't feel totally hopeless. We just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. And it turns out there's a name for that. It's languishing. Now here's the definition. Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. Uh, It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield, and it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. Now, basically in a word, if I had to describe for you what languishing is, I would use this word. Meh. (laughs) Meh. Because that's kind of how you feel about your day. Okay, meh. Languishing is not full-on depression. Um, But recent sociological studies have shown that it is a major early indicator that you are sliding into it. In China, actually, recently, there's a phrase, 
just to bring this on the ground level for you into your real life, uh, there's a phrase that translates over into English um, that describes a trend there. The, the phrase is revenge, bedtime, procrastination. Okay, uh, everybody repeat after me. Revenge, bedtime, procrastination. I said repeat, okay, is this kindergarten? Did you skip kindergarten? Repeat after me, I'll go first. Revenge, bedtime, pro- repeat. <laughs> Who stayed out too late last night? You hush now, I'll say it first, then you say it, ready? Revenge, bedtime, procrastination, go. Revenge, yeah. Procrastination. Good night, I didn't even plan on having you repeat it, I'll never do it again. Uh, okay, so this describes a trend among Chinese adults of staying up late to hang out, to bend shows, uh, to play video games, whatever, in order to just snatch a little bit of joy out of a long, long, long day. Relatable, anybody? Anybody staying up way too late, binging shows, eating sugar? Now, here's what Grant claims in the article. He claims that this act has become so popular because it is a retaliation against languishing. And I quote, he says, it's a search for bliss in a bleak day. It's not surprising, by the way, that the World Health Organization has rated China as the most uh, depressed country on planet Earth. And the U.S. is not far behind There was a major uptick in languishing starting in 2020 here. Surprise, surprise. And the reason why is because we face levels of suffering, relational loss, and total uncertainty that many of us have never faced before as Americans. Now, here's another phrase for you that describes languishing. I believe at its worst. This is when you're real close to depression here. Uh, Learned helplessness. Ever heard of this psychological term? Learned helplessness. Okay, so psychologist Henry Cloud explains that uh, learned helplessness occurs when one of the most fundamental laws of the universe is interrupted in our lives, the law of cause and effect. Now, Cloud points out that um, we learn this law of cause and effect early on when we're babies. So when you're a baby, you cry and then you get food or you get comfort. You learn that if I have a need, I just... I act and a need will get met. Then thousands upon thousands of actions over the course of our lives reinforce that law time and time again. Basically, we learn if I'm uh, uncomfortable or my life stinks, I can do something about that to change it. Uh, Until all of a sudden you can't. All of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you are continuously affected negatively and you have no control over the the forces that are negatively impacting you. Now, for what it's worth, some people are born into this. They don't learn helplessness. They're born into honestly helpless situations, born into family systems or unjust communities or corrupted or impoverished countries where that's just their life. But for many of us in our country, it comes in waves. And when things are out of control in an ongoing way, it can just beat you down. And before you know it, you just wave the white flag and surrender. You start to believe that nothing I do will make a difference anyways, and you sort of just give up. You languish. 
Anyone felt that over the last few years? Wow. Are you going through a season of life where your life's like, meh? Like you're not depressed, but you're also not happy and you're certainly not operating at full potential. Anybody going through a season of work right now where you're like, my job's fine, it's fine, but you're bored, deep down inside, you're contemplating career change? Anybody in a moment right now where your marriage, well, it, it is what it is, but secretly deep down you think, I'd be happier if I just got out. If that's you, you might be languishing. And that's a problem. Now, in his article, Grant gives us a solution though. He suggests that the cure for languishing is this concept called flow. You heard of this? Very popular TED Talk, okay? Um, flow is that feeling when you like lose yourself in a meaningful relationship or a meaningful challenge. You like lose sense of time, you're focused, dialed in, you, all the worries of life sort of melt away. You're just all in there in the moment. You ever been in the flow before? Okay, so Grant gives um, a couple of examples from his own personal experience of what helps uh, sort of push him into flow. He says, uh, an early morning word game catapults me into flow. Or a late night Netflix binge sometimes does the trick too. It transports you into a story where you feel attached to the characters and concerned for their welfare. Now, um, it's at this point in the article uh, where I, I thought to myself, um, come on, man. Like this was a good article. And that's your solution? Hi, are you uh, struggling with existential meaninglessness and on the slide to major depression? I have an idea. Wordle and binge more Netflix. That'll fix it. To which I'm thinking, that's what America's already doing anyways, bro. Get out the ivory tower. Now, I have, call on me, ooh, 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 hand in the front. I have a different idea. I believe if you want hope, if you want purpose, if you want joy that actually transcends the circumstances of life, whether they're good or whether they're bad, then I believe you actually gotta give yourself to something that's transcendent. Let me give it to you in street talk. Wordle is not big enough to fill the desires of your soul. I'm sorry. Netflix is not the key to a flourishing life. In fact, I would suggest to you, it may be the opposite. So look, you gotta throw yourself into something that has proven through the ages that it can transcend the volatility of life and deliver the goods. Now, preparing uh, for today, I was actually meditating over all the prayers that Paul prayed for his churches. Paul was a prolific prayer in his letters, if you ever read them. In 12 of his 13 letters, he at least writes one prayer for his churches. Oftentimes he writes multiple prayers. I mean, read letters like Ephesians, 1 Thessalonians, big chunks of these letters. Are and these letters weren't cheap to produce back then in a illiterate culture where you had to hire a professional scribe that could write good. They weren't cheap to produce, but he spends hundreds in order to send prayers to his churches. 
And it's remarkable. If you read these, here's what you'll find. Paul never prays for the circumstances of his people. And they were suffering. But he doesn't pray that their circumstances get better. They were persecuted. They faced death and disease, oppressive powers that be, all kinds of adversity. Their lives were far more out of control then than ours are today. Yet Paul prays not for better circumstances. Consistently, he prays that they would have a better relationship with God. Because he knows if they have a good relationship with God, it don't matter what the circumstance is anyways. Now, for those of you who are nerds in the room, I made a list. Some of you care about such things. Very few of you, but you are my people. You can throw the list up there. Um, the next three li- slides are the writ list of the 20 prayers um, that Paul prayed. I had some factors, so I discluded some and included some. We can talk after the service, all right? But you kind of flip through them. Um, you can go back, find the slides later, snap a picture of them right now if you're at all interested. What I wanna do though is to give you a taste of this. Um, I want to read to you two prayers from his letter to the Ephesians. These are great sample prayers for kind of how Paul prayed for his churches, okay? So ready? And this is what I want you to do. I want you to receive these prayers. I will read them slowly. I want you to receive these as if I, your pastor, am praying these over you because this week I did. Okay, so just receive this. First, Ephesians 1, 15 through 20. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your heart shall be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The word of the Lord. You get a taste of how he prayed? You see it? Let's do another. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Oh, I pray this for you. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love is for you. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Word of the Lord.
Now do you see, you see what he prayed for? You see? Not for better circumstances, but for richer relationship with God. I made just a quick summary of the verse. These are just the two prayers that we just prayed just now. Look at what he prays for his people. He prays that they grow in the knowledge of God. He prays that they understand the confident hope they have, understand the greatness of God's power. He prays that they'd be empowered with inner strength, that Christ would make his home in their hearts, that they would understand how wide, long, high, and deep his love is, that they would experience Christ's love, and that they would be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Embrace one of these today and light a candle, I'm saying. So, okay, here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm saying. Perhaps, perhaps if you're languishing, Pastor Paul would tell you that you need to reevaluate your affection and connection to God. Because it seems like Paul believes that flow actually flows from a relationship with him. Okay, um, confession time. I've shared with you all um, a few times some of the struggles that I have you know, been wrestling through over the last few, few years. Um, I went through a strong season late 2021 of just meh, you know, meh. And it devolved honestly into a really unhealthy mindset and a couple of unhealthy life patterns that to be perfectly honest, almost disqualified me from being your pastor. I just wanna, I just wanna share fully. I've never shared all of this with you all, so I'm just share it all. So early in the pandemic of 2020, um, I remember telling our church over and over, some of you will be able to finish this sentence because I said it a thousand times. We would never pray for this, but we were made for this moment. We were made for it. And man, I believed it. I pounded the pulpit as I stared into a camera and preached to you at your homes, you know? I believed it. There was this godly adrenal response in me and our staff we were ready to lead boldly through a time of national crisis, make sure that Northeast did it right. Uh, but what I didn't consider in the midst of all that was how, uh, how my role as a spiritual first responder would impact me in the coming months. So uh, look, I tried to lead in a way that was faithful, faithful to the truth and prioritized love for neighbor. I tried. Um, but it felt like no matter what I did, people just kept leaving the church. She kept leaving. You know, you got friends, they left, I know. Lots of people left the church. And people were leaving from both sides of the aisle. That was confusing to me. Um, I couldn't get a grip on what I was doing wrong. That was confusing to me. And then on top of that, crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis came. It wasn't like one, it was like, oh, three crises at one. Good luck, pastor, right? It's just. And so all I, like, I just kind of got to a place where I just resigned myself here. All you can do, Tyler, is pray and pray. And then speak God's word in our cultural moment to the best of your ability. So I did, and it wasn't enough. For the first time in my career as career, yeah, as the lead pastor at Northeast, I couldn't preach my way out it or around it. It wasn't enough. Preaching boldly was not met with applause. It was met with scorn and sometimes outright disdain. 
from people who were close. So I started to languish. I wasn't burnt out. Um, I was beat down and I was angry. That's how I processed, I was angry with you. I remember I would think to myself, we moved our life here for people this fickle and unnuanced and perfidious. These people said they loved us. Hmm. Now I knew in my heart, I had to preach what I thought was true. I had to, I've, got, I've got too much integrity not to. Um, but, uh, well, I... I appreciate the applause, appreciate the applause, but I make mistakes up here all the time, I do. I'm blind to them when I make them. Um, a lot of you have offered loving correction along the way of, hey, you missed that word, or maybe you should have said that different, and I'm, I'm so appreciative of it. But I'll tell you this, anytime I make a mistake up here, it comes from a, a healthy motive. I'm trying, I'm praying and trying to speak the truth. You can, I'm trying to do it in love. You can always bet your bottom dollar on this. Um, so I'm in like late 2021, and I'm just thinking to myself like, I'm trying, but unless God changes the truth or changes my mind, I gotta say what I gotta say. So I'm about to preach this church to the ground. Or, or maybe I'm just the wrong guy for this moment in this place. I remember asking my mentor in that season, how do you know when it's time to move on to another ministry? Um, I remember, and this is the really disappointing one. I've never shared this with you all. My wife knows. Um, I remember there were four weeks in a row at the 11 a.m. service, I would finish the sermon. I would walk off the back of the stage, would walk out the back door, get in my car and drive home before the worship service even ended. Because I didn't want to see you. I didn't want to talk to you. Um, it was a failure of heart is what it was. And I confess that to you right now. I repent of it. I ask for your forgiveness. I truly am sorry. It's not right. Because you were the ones who stayed. I mean, <laughs> or came. It's like, you know, you get a little perspective and you're like, uh, it's not like you were walking out like, I'll show them, you know, bye. Like, no, those, these are people that stuck around. Like, those, those folks are gone, Tyler. I was walking out on people who love Northeast, love our mission, love me. So I'm sorry, sorry. Now, the only good news I can, I can give you for this though is that um, I didn't languish very long, I didn't. I got perspective pretty quick and I would attribute that to two decisions I made. And look up here now, okay, I want you to pay attention to this because I am going to ask everyone who calls Northeast their church home to commit to these two this year. And here's the good news. The good news is these strategies are far more effective than Wordle and Netflix. Here's what I did. So I did. First, I established a rhythm in my life, daily prayerful engagement with scripture. A quiet time, if you will. Now I already had a quiet time. So for me during this season of languishing, I kicked it up like four notches. Um, I practiced what the monks would call fixed hour prayer, which means multiple times a day, I interrupted my day at fixed hours in order to prayerfully read scripture. Most days I would do it three times a day. There were weeks where I would do it six times a day. I kid you not. Um, these prayers could sometimes be an hour long. Usually they were about five minutes though. And uh, wouldn't you know it, a renewed sense of connection with God, 
and a renewed heart for my calling here and a renewed soul for ministry during a time where it still feels like crises after crises is happening. It filled me. Now here's the second thing I did. Um, I established a restriction in my life. I've talked about this before, late 2021. Um, I decided I'm gonna limit the quality and quantity of my screen intake. So I just basically got off social media entirely. Uh, and uh, I decided I was only gonna watch sports and, and movies with my kids. It was the only kind of content I was gonna do. Now I've recently started getting back on social media some. I've also, you know, cheated along the way, watched a comedian with my wife, watched a show, you know, or whatever. And I'll tell you, every time I do that, um, I do not miss it. Like within a day, I delete the app back off my phone. It's just like, I don't want it. It's not worth it. Connection with God is better without it. So again, if you were to ask me, Tyler, what pulled you out of a season of languishing that could have like slid you into major depression or washed you out of ministry at Northeast entirely, I would say easy, two things. One, I got off social media and two, I practiced fixed hour prayer every day. And I am such a believer in this that in 2023, I'm going to ask you to make part of your new year's resolution, something similar. Now you've heard us use the language of rule of life around here. Uh, one of our vision targets over the next five years is this. We will build a robust communal rule of life to grow in intimacy with God. What's that mean in street talk, Tyler? Well, it means I want everybody to be able to say, I have rhythms and restrictions. Rhythms and restrictions, both are important that help me connect with God and resist popular culture. Um, a rule of life can include all sorts of different rhythms and restrictions that do that. Uh, it's, a lot of it's gonna depend on you. Like you gotta personalize it for you and your season of life. But as a church, I would like for us to have two shared irreducible minimums in terms of our rule of life. I want us all to have one, a rhythm of daily engagement with scripture and two, a restriction on the quality and quantity of our screen intake. Can we do it? Okay, so first, daily prayerful engagement with scripture. What does that look like for you? You don't have to go full monk like I did, okay? I get it. Everybody's got their own vibe, right? But what does it look like for you? I want you to consider that today. And two, screen restriction. What does that look like for you? Do you need to back off social media? Do you need to limit your time on Netflix? Do you need to cut out some of that content that glorifies violence or preaches a false gospel about politics or money or sexuality that doesn't align with what scripture says? Maybe you're watching stuff that exploits your carnal lusts. Maybe you need to clean up your news intake. Um, maybe you need to clean up your news intake. And maybe you need to clean up your news intake. Uh, also, maybe this is the time that you kick that pornography habit that's just been following you since college. I don't know what it is. I don't care what you decide, but you must resist because if you don't resist, then you slowly relent to the way of the world. Amen? And maybe you need to clean up your news intake. Now, all the excuses are starting to swirl in your head already. I know it. I know it. I'm too busy to have a quiet time. I got young kids who are just loud and stuff. I don't like to read. I don't know what to do. You know, or or, or here's, here's the social media one. People are like, social media doesn't affect me that bad. I just scroll. I heard that one. Or I'm, not, I'm not on Twitter. I do much more wholesome content on Instagram, right? <laughs> how will I keep up with my friends? You know, Netflix is how I deprogram, whatever. I'm just telling you, if that's going to your mind right now, that's the devil trying to talk you out of closeness with God. So, hey, this isn't optional for us. If, okay, if you give your pastor any spiritual authority at all over your life, 
then I am drawing this line for us. This is what our community does. If you're here, we practice a communal rule of life. It's simple but critical. We will daily engage with scripture, the prayerful mindset, seeking to be close to God and hear from him. And we will limit the quantity and quality of our screen intake because we need it. He can't tell us to do that. Can you believe, can you believe the pastors tell us what to do? He, he, pastor would do something like, the, like, do something like what? Tell you to read your Bible more? <laughs> Ask you to spend more time with God, less time with the world? Believe it, because I wouldn't be much of a pastor if I did it. So here's what we're gonna do. For about the next 20 minutes, um, we are going to pray through communion right now and then pray more through song. And as we take communion, um, we're gonna sit in silence and I'm just gonna provide a few questions to cue your thoughts and prayers during this time. And then at the end, it'll cue you to take your communion. Let's just silently reflect and let's sing and let's light some prayers. Let's make this a day to remember.